MS sucks. I know. I've lived with it since 1998, and man, it's been one hell of a roller coaster. When people ask, how are you doing? I say, fine. Great. Really? Most of the time, it's a lie, because we're programmed to hide our struggles. I'm not a doctor or a researcher. I'm just a normal guy talking from experience. And let me tell you, sharing those experiences with other people living with MS has made my life a hundred times better. So get ready for a belly up to the bar, honest conversation with real people who at first hesitate to tell the truth about life with MS, but eventually let it all hang out. I'm your host, Jim Fairchild. How you really doing? My next guest is so cool he goes by just one name, Augie. Well, actually not totally one name like Sting or Madonna because he does have a last name, but I'll never use it because I've actually never met somebody who can carry off just one name like he can. Augie is a man of many talents, dare I say like a renaissance man. He's a musician, a comedian, a graphic artist, a writer, a performer. He's worked in L.A. He's traveled the world. He will say he's a cross between Woody Allen and Andy Dick in the way he looks. Plus, he does a mean impression of Woody. So you can imagine those two celebrities when I tell you he has written and performed his own one-man show called Sexy Nerd about his life's desire to be a rock star commingled with his experience with MS. Augie doesn't have MS, but his experience runs deep, as his mom lived with it for 34 years, and it is in her memory that he brings all his amazingly wonderful talents to the MS cause. Augie is the vice president of marketing and events for the Oregon chapter of the MS Society, you know, and as you'll hear, he literally changed his career, his life's direction because he doesn't want others to suffer with MS like his mom did, so he wants to be a part of the cause. His passion and his profound love for his mom is always right on the surface, and it touches me literally over and over to watch him honor her memory every day. Augie has also shared his talents with me in a way I will be eternally grateful for. He got me into podcasting. I come from a creative background myself of video production, and writing that had become lost. You know, as my disease took hold, it literally stole my mental and my physical abilities. It also stole my confidence, you know, in who I was and and what I stand for, what I can do. You know, I was in a bad depression when Augie sat in our living room to talk about his podcast idea. You know, I thought he was going to ask my wife and I to be on his podcast. Nope. He had talked with my wife and knew of my background so thought I should do this thing. You know, I barely even knew what a podcast was. But deep down, you know when you get one of those questions that scares the hell out of you to even think about doing it, but in the back of your mind, you know, you just know that you're going to have to say yes. Well, that's exactly what his podcast proposal was for me. It definitely scared the hell out of me, but once I tackled it, it helped me out of a very dark time in my life. You know, and as I always say, great freedom comes with true vulnerability, which is what this podcast is all about. Augie lives this statement for sure. You know, he is a masterful storyteller, as you'll hear, which is just one more talent that helps him on his mission to show people how they can express themselves around their MS and gain some freedom of their own. All right, I'll say it. I love this man. He means the world to me, and I am so thankful to have him in my life. You know, another important aspect to Augie 
is that he is a diehard Rush fan. That rock band has been in his blood since he was a kid. So, of course, I had to throw out a trick question as we started talking to see truly how deep his Rush addiction ran. Of course, he passed that test with flying colors. So, here's Augie. Not only a renaissance man, but a modern-day warrior. A modern-day warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. All right, Augie, thank you so much for joining me. You know, I know with your high flutant power at uh, the MS Society <laughs> uh-huh. that you are a very busy man. So uh, I have a question that I've been dying to know the answer of uh, regarding all that. But if you were deserted on a desert island, what five items would you have to have with you? Five items would I have to have me have have me have <laughs> clearly i'm a highfalutin person at the yes, MS because i can speak so speak well, so well and i'm yes. in marketing and, and branding um i would on a desert island five items yes okay so assuming that i have a mp3 device a record player whatever right i'd have to have a copy of rush moving pictures okay number one first and foremost two i would want to have a drum set because I'm a drummer and I find that very satisfying to play. Plus, it's a great exercise. Right, got to get your heart because, rate up. Do yeah, because you're not going to be able to exercise very much chasing down your own food on the island. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. Plus, I, you know, I, maybe I, I need a way to attract like a boat in the distance that will right. rescue me. And I'm playing the drums. They're like, "Who's that amazing drummer?" Exactly. Or that, or in my case, that really bad drummer. And let's go find yeah. out. I've heard a lot of drummers right. get you know, found that way. <laughs> they do. All right, number three. Number three, I'd have to take, can I take my better half? Uh, that was against the rules, but I'll allow it since uh, <laughs> you guys did just get married. So okay. congratulations. Thank you. Cindy would love yeah. to be, I'm sure, with me. Yes. Our dog, Peanut, of course, is number four because okay. that's our kid, essentially. Yep. And number five, um, I would have to bring... Some hair product. <laughs> of course. Of course you would, because you've right. got to look like Augie while you're on the island. So yeah. so i got to be honest, that was kind of a test, because mm. uh, what I was really looking for, you answered as number one, ah. the Rush album. Yes. Because I know you are a huge Rush fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other question I was going to ask you is, if World War Three started, what band would be able to stop it? <laughs> Well, Rush, hello. Of course. Right. Because I think that's about as highly as you think of them, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah they, I'm sure that the first thing the, the United Nations would do is seek out Getty, Alex, and Neil. And yes. they would say, can you please prevent World War III from happening? And, you know, if you could just do a concert or maybe just Neil Peart could jump out of the drum set and, you know, play around a little bit and done. Right. right. Russians are afraid of Neil Peart. Putin's like, oh, no, Neil Peart coming. I stopped now. He killed me. Yeah. Russia is half of Russians, so... True. So, yeah, so you passed the test. And, and uh, the other reason I was asking about that is because your creativity shines through. Uh, you bring your love of music to uh, the MS events. And I know bike MS, you actually get to be on stage and do your drumming. Right. So uh, you get to do all that. Plus, uh, you know, your creativity, uh, all everything that you bring to the MS Society uh, is amazing, and it, it, I think it's a real benefit to the society. So oh, thank you. that's why I had to bring that up. Yeah. And then uh, 
the other question I have with that is that with all that passion, what what brings all that passion uh, for you to your work and to uh, the MS Society? goes back a long ways to 1975 when my mom uh, mysteriously started having these episodes of um, double vision, numbness in her, her arms and her hands. Um, and then one day she collapsed on the floor and we were kind of confused, like, what, what's happening? Because my mom, you know, there was, were no alcohols. There was no alcohol. There's no beer in our house, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the big vice was, uh, it was chamomile tea, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took about 30 days for the diagno- doctors to diagnose this because in 1975, there wasn't a lot of information about it. There were no MRIs. I'm surprised they got it done in 30 days. That seems... Yeah. Well, once she went that far, right? Okay. I mean, there had been symptoms all along, mm-hmm. but um, it was at that point where the local doctors, because I grew up in a small country town, um, and they went, they just couldn't figure it out. So they sent her off to the University of Michigan Hospital, which is about an hour and a half from our house. Mm-hmm. And that was devastating because mom was gone. I was, you know, nine or 10. Um, I missed her greatly. We didn't go to go visit her. And again, she was gone like four weeks. And I know this because I, I created these little uh, get well soon cards by with crayons and everything. And mm-hmm. like, here's an example of my creativity, Jim. This is going to blow you away. Um, one of them said, I hope you get well soon, faster than a pop balloon, because I love you so, I hope that you keep grow. Something like that. <laughs> like, really, really bad. Well, and so <laughs> profound for a 10-year-old, you know? Right? Yeah. I'm surprised that hasn't caught on with Hallmark. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I'm going to start a line of Hallmark cards after yes, I retire yes. from the MSSA. But, but when mom came home from the hospital she rolled in in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And so this was curious. And my dad said, well, your mom has this thing called multiple sclerosis and she's going to have a difficult time, um, you know, probably getting around as the years go by. But the, but the good, my dad also has a great sense of humor. And he said, and I know he said this because he wanted to reduce the sting to mm-hmm. us all. Mm-hmm. He said, but the good thing for my brother and I, he said, is you guys get to do more dishes. And I thought that was great. Yes, that is such perfect dad humor that's right. the kind of thing i would say that my kids would just love you know make it and it made it okay yeah uh-huh. right right like mom's still mom she's just going to have a harder time getting around but you guys but at the same time he was kind of saying you're gonna have to step up to the plate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that that from there on you know i went from like i'm a 10 year old to suddenly i became kind of a caretaker uh, as the years went by and i went from you know just kind of being this crazy you know hyper kid to right. oh i need to focus you know, moms haven't, mom can't get around. And it went, it was a very quick progression. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's the answer to your question. So, well, um, and you know, of course I've, I've done a lot of events with you and I don't think there's a single event that we've ever done that you haven't mentioned your mom and that this is why you're here. And yeah. I also don't think there's a time that you've mentioned her that you haven't had a tear in your eye. Uh, And I I say that in the best way, because I know that you are honoring your mom day in and day out with Mm -hmm. what you're doing uh, at the MS Society. So as a 10-year-old, your mom comes home. This is all new. What does that do for your life? I mean, did that ever change how you saw your mom? Hmm. Did it change how I saw my mom? Well, yeah, because first... Mom was also kind of hyper, 
Mm-hmm. You know, my mom was she's little, and she's a farm girl, very stubborn, like you know, person. Mm-hmm. I guess all farmers are stubborn. That's what you are led to believe when you're growing up in the Midwest. And she was she was a homemaker. Mm-hmm. I guess is that a proper term? Sure. Back in the seventies, wasn't right? That? Yeah, stay at home mom. Yeah, uh, which is housewife. Great. Yeah, housewife. Back in the seventies. Yeah, dad wore it to work every day. You know, left around six thirty in the morning, got back at four, and, and mom was at home. Um, so anyway, mom was uh, a gardener, and she loved being out in the garden. She loved walking around the yard. She loved to vac- <laughs> vacuum, uh-huh. which I find odd. <laughs> you know what? How crazy is that? I actually miss vacuuming. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy vacuuming as well. Haven't been able to do it forever. And when there's like a great big pile of dust or something on the the uh-huh. carpet, I used to love doing that. <laughs> so that's something else MS has taken from me is vacuuming. Yeah, I feel sorry for you, but, yeah. I, but I hear you. No, but you're yeah. right. Like things like that, you think, oh, uh, that's terrible. It, but when you don't have the ability to do yeah, it, yeah, it can be the most mundane thing. Right. Every everything is uh, is something that can be taken away. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. So mom was hyper cleaning all the time. Dad said she cleaned. Get this. Have you ever cleaned your? <laughs> this is not a pun. Have you ever cleaned your closet before? A closet. Yeah. How many times have you cleaned a closet? Um, probably about a quarter of a time because then my wife jumps in and she is awesome at it, so uh-huh. she ends up doing more of it. But does she actually go in there like clean it? Oh no. Meaning, meaning vacuum dust. Okay. No. I'm talking not organizing. Okay. No, no offense. I'm talking about actually going into the closet mm-hmm. with a vacuum, vacuuming the carpet. Going up under the walls, washing down the walls, going up on the top no. shelf, dusting it off. My mom did that two times a week. Holy cow. <laughs> right? That's like spring cleaning. Yes. If that, like once in every decade. Right. Right. A decade, right? Wow. So my mom, just to show you the level of intensity she had mm-hmm. about her purpose, which dad always said she loved the family and she loved raising you guys. Mm-hmm. That's what made her tick, right? And that's what, and I know that because I have to say this um, about two years before she passed away, mm-hmm. my mom was bedridden for many years. And we went, I walked into the bedroom and my dad was there. And, and, and it was tough because she, because she was bedridden. Um, you know, it's not unusual for people to get bed sores and things like right. that. And she had a hole, an actual hole, an opening at her tailbone that was mm. about an inch wide that would not heal. Doctors couldn't figure that out either. Mm-hmm. And so she was in constant pain because of that if she tried to sit up, right? So she oh. had to be lay flat almost all the time. Right. She couldn't lay up for more than like 15, 20 minutes and she started having extreme pain. So, she, So this is a person who has only the use of her one hand she can barely feed herself dad has to do everything for her Mm -hmm. right from uh, obviously uh, without being gross yeah right taking care of the dailies right right things like that and and a person that gets out of the house maybe once a week to go to their church Mm -hmm. that's her one piece of human contact i mean my dad you know when he was there wasn't around a whole lot usually because mm-hmm. he was working or he's kind of hyper too so he's right. running around so she's kind of trapped in this room um for for a long long time for 12 years or so oh my god and and the only relief is watching cbs she <laughs> loves cbs for right. some reason like oprah and days of our lives and of but, course letterman 
Of course, but there's no YouTube. There's no, no Google. There's no anything that kind of gets me through the day right now. Right. You know, without any of that. And I'm sure this is always uh, something I think about, too, with that that era is that people didn't talk very much. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was doing a podcast about how <laughs> you're really doing back in the 70s. So yeah. uh, I'm sure there was a lot of pent up um, yeah. stuff with her as well. Did you ever see that? I did. I just want to finish this point. I'm forgot. sorry. No, yeah. no, no, no. Don't. don't your podcast. Okay. Well, then was, I'll, I'll cut in whenever Yeah, you want. cut in whenever you want. Yeah. What I was going to say is, I have, by the way, you probably know me well enough that I digress on these tributaries. And I'll, but yeah. I'll come back to my point eventually. Okay. Then That's we'll get my there. My brain works. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say, this is a couple of years before she died. So like 19 or 2007-ish, right? And um, we walked in the room and she's laying in that bed. Again, this bed, which, you know, to me is symbolic of like this prison, prison of body, right? Mm-hmm. A prisoner of your own body. And, and I, I said, mom, I go, I just, I need to understand. I go, and I go, what keeps you going? And she said, you guys, you guys keep me going. And I thought that was so sweet, you know, that my brother and I, my dad, her grandsons, those we were the one real big purpose in her life. And despite the fact that she had lost all of her, her physical capacity, she was still mentally capable and emotionally capable of, you know, of, of, of embracing that idea. And, and uh, it was a very wonderful moment uh, for me. Yeah. And, 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 and that, you know, that kind of stuff, those scenes in my life of being with her and seeing mm-hmm. that and seeing that, the hope and the and this willingness to continue to live despite the fact that everything really everything physically everything. had been taken away from her right yet she still saw the value in like but you guys like love you you know ms doesn't kill love right right it does not kill love and and that uh you know, the story you just said is very poignant for me because i have two beautiful wonderful daughters who are uh, 14 and 13. And, you know, I, I do everything I can. I'm still mobile. I can still get out, but I always wonder what their perception is of me. And I always worry that my MS is taking away from their growing up and from their aspect of, uh, what a dad should be. And so you and I have talked about this before, but during all the times you went out with your mom, let's say you went to church with her um did you ever worry about what anybody else thought of you or did ms create the perception that you thought of yourself hmm. all right so i'll give you an example um when i was probably 11 or 12 so again mom progressed very quickly right mm-hmm. ms as you know can present itself in so many different ways, right? right? From relapsing, remitting, where it comes and goes, many months at a time, or a few weeks even, to progressive, right? Which mm-hmm. I think is what you live with. No, I am still, well, I am like, I think it's secondary progressive. Secondary progressive, okay. Well, hold on. Nope, I get that wrong. It's uh, primary progressive. It's still relapsing because oh. I still have 
points that it's better than it was. So okay. All right. I am holding on to that relapsing <laughs> that relapsing Please title do. as long Please as do. I can. Yes, yes, yes. I don't care what comes after it. Primary, secondary, progress. I don't know, but there needs to be relapsing. In yes. That, that's yes. my hope for that's it great. right there. That's yes. great. Okay. Yep. So mom had, I believe, primary progressive. And even when I work at the MS Society, I'm still kind of confused about some of these things. I'll right. admit it. Right. But I know that much. And so she went from, like I said, a walker right at first to get around after this is after she had was completely mobile Mm -hmm. right comes home after from the from the hospital now she's using a walker all the time but when we went to the store that was too difficult so she would use a wheelchair and this is back in the day when wheelchairs were kind of ugly oh and heavy right heavy and so we'd have to you know fold it up put it in the trunk probably weighed about 60 pounds pull it out get mom in there roller through the store now i loved to go to the store right going to the store was great right because we lived in this little town called mason Uh in michigan and and the biggest city was about 20 miles away which is the state capital but it was surrounded by farmland right so to Mm -hmm. go into the big city was um kind of an adventure and was she able to drive she could still drive okay yeah for a while um, but, you know, so my brother and I would go with her. My brother was six years older, so he could, you know, he was strong enough to get the wheelchair out and right. help her get in. But my job was to roll her through the store. And I loved rolling mm-hmm. mom through the store because, mm-hmm. to me, I'm taking care of my mom. I'm proud of what I'm doing. And it's also, as a kid, it's kind of cool. Like, right. this thing to me, this this wheelchair, isn't this symbol of, like, oh, somebody can't move anymore. It was like almost kind of a toy because my brother and I, we'd dick around in it, right? Right. We'd roll around the house and pop wheelies. Right. And, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing when I get off my walker and mm-hmm. I'm sitting down. Everybody, that is a chair for everybody, <laughs> right. my walker is. Yeah. And my nephew, Trenton, will be on my walker like right away. He's jumping on it. So, yeah, I understand right. the, the dicking around part. Yeah, yeah. So, we'd be messing around. But anyway, in the store, it was kind of serious business. Like, I'm pushing mom. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of my mom. And this is what has stood out to me is uh, people would stare mm-hmm. at us. Mm-hmm. And people, like a, another mom, have a couple kids. I noticed she'd like pull her kids out of the way, like like put her arms around them, like mm-hmm. I'm protecting you from this thing. We don't know what it is, so right? I don't want you to catch it. Exactly. And But it, when I first encountered that, I was confused because I was like, why are people acting different? Mm-hmm. This is just my mom. She's the same person. She right. just can't move as well, as well as she used to be able to. Right? right. And then as I as I got a little older and, and it started to connect like, oh, these people think my mom's a freak. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, I started to identify with that as well because uh, growing up in a small town, I was a weird kid. <laughs> I mean, come on, I like Rush. Hello. That's not weird. <laughs> The fact that you took hair products to a deserted island, <laughs> well, that true. might be a little weird. true. Good callback. <laughs> uh, um, but I was always this, you know, artsy, like creative, uh, you know, I, I was not going to fall prey to the typical Michigan Midwestern blue collar work ethic. Uh-huh. Nothing wrong with it. But for me, that represented another form of trap, uh-huh. right? Prisoned by your job. And I saw other people, all of my uncles worked for Ford or Chrysler or for uh, Firestone and that on assembly lines. Knowing your creativity, I'm glad that you stayed outside the mold so Thank that you. we can benefit from your creativity. <laughs> uh, and because I'm in a uh, factory would be hell for you. 
Right. Oh yeah. So yeah. proceed. So I'm trying. See, I told you I'm going to digress, but I'll come back to my point. So yes. again, mom in wheelchair. As I get older, pushing her through, right. I I start to identify with the freak because mm-hmm. I do not fit into this small town. Mm-hmm. Um, I am on the fringe. I have a, a small group of friends that are also the weirdos, mm-hmm. but the the bulk of the population, especially in a small town, lots of hunters, mm-hmm. lots of jocks, your typical stuff. Um, you know, we were like the little kind of music. What year was this? Gigs, probably nineteen seventy nine okay. ish, uh-huh. seventy nine to eighty four. So. Um, once I started to see that I was on the fringe mm-hmm. and I liked being on the fringe because I did not want to follow that path mm-hmm. of going to work at a factory. I did not, I was not interested in sports. I love sports as growing up. Right. But then as I got older, I recognized that they tend to be dominated by people who weren't always that friendly mm-hmm. and they worked in those masses, right? The click. Right. right? Um, you're going to get to hear parts about me that you don't know. So That's anyway, good, because anyway. I, I have learned a lot. So if I get <laughs> if I get to hear some other things, I, I welcome it all. So yeah. bring it on. Yeah. So so my defiance starts to sprout mm-hmm. when I'm about 14, and in and not doesn't it for every kid because for, yeah, yeah for guys I think but, in particular yeah, but obviously it rears its head in multiple ways right, right. and for me. Um, I think the combination of having a mom who lived with this thing called multiple sclerosis, uh-huh. which other people didn't understand, and then going through the mall or the store or whatever, pushing her in this chair, and I'm attached to the chair by proxy of my hands mm-hmm. on the handles, and mm-hmm. I'm pushing them. So now we are a unit. Mm-hmm. It's not just me, right, in my head that they're looking at. It's Or her. It's both of us. We are this beast, mm-hmm. right? And uh, And I think... What I started to feel is like people think we have like a cancer that's mm-hmm. transmittable just by, again, being within five feet of us or something. Uh-huh. Hence, the, 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 oh, I'm turning my head or I'm walking off the way and, of the aisle or I'm pulling my kids really close. And, me. you know, they call that the look now is what right. a lot of people call that. So before it was termed the look, it was the look. Right. It is the look. It is. And, yeah. I, and I, I grew to hate the look. Oh. And, and then what was interesting is I was in, got into high school. You know, in high school, in the morning, I don't know what you did. You guys like walk around the halls oh, before yeah. class started. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. Okay, so um, probably I would assume this is very similar to most schools. Some peop, certain people would lock themselves on a part a part of the route, right? So mm-hmm. they're standing next to the library, let's say, or mm-hmm. next to the library, and there was this group of these jackass jock dudes. Mm-hmm who would stand in this one position, like four or five of these guys, and they have power, right, when they're in their collective, right? right. When you take them apart, it they're dissipates, yep. right? But uh-huh. when they're together, they think they're strong, and they have kind of like a, a bully force, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So you'd walk, we'd be, I'd walk, walk by with a couple of my dorky friends, you know, they'd be like, hey, dork, whatever, freak. And, and it was like, I, even though my mom wasn't there, that look was the same. Mm-hmm. And and I that's when I made the connection like oh shit you know I'm they think I'm a freak people think my mom's a freak together mm-hmm. we're a freak but then it's like I love it because now it's a badge of honor like mm-hmm. we are unique we are distinct you know my mom and I are like this this unit that have come or you know born from this really terrible thing right right but now it's powerful plus my mom she is uh, like and I said stubborn. <laughs> so she and she's and that's this thing I, I forget sometimes as I get older is my mom was also extremely defiant example am I going on too long here no uh, you know it, it's 
I did. I love what you've said because you're right. I haven't heard you say this part before that, um, you know, you are together as a unit and that you've understood that look in a different way, which I've actually never heard somebody say that because as an MSer, I think of the look a certain way. I also feel like other people don't understand it at all. So that's kind of cool to think of it that you understand it in your own way and that it brought you closer with your mom. Yeah. Which is, I yeah, I, I like that. So um, go ahead. Go on. No. Okay. Here's my old age hitting me. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, you're talking about the jackass jocks. The jackass and, um, jocks. Yeah. And mom. And somehow. Oh, so she's defiant. So. The first time, I mean, I, I think I probably saw lots of these moments, but this is the one that stands out to me. So my mom goes to the neurologist on a regular checkup, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, once a quarter or something. Mm-hmm. She comes home and, and she rolls by in her wheelchair. So I'm in the living room. And imagine this. We've got like shag, orange shag carpet, right? And these like green chairs. This is very 70s. Mm-hmm. And she rolls by and I go, what did the doctor say? And he, he, she, oh, he says that I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't use my walker anymore, because she's still using the walker, you know. Even right. though she's rolling by in the wheelchair. Go, okay, so mom rolls by, and I'm sitting there watching, you know, some TV show, and she came back on her walker, <laughs> like rolling, like walking on her walker, which uh-huh. I thought was hilarious. That she, that's this little moments like that of my mom saying, "F you, yeah, I'm not going to let this thing, this invisible beast, MS." rule my mm-hmm. life it, wouldn't you agree at least i would uh definitely say that that helps somebody keep on going though yeah. i mean you if as soon as you let it win then you're bye-bye right and the, what's funny though is that and I, i'm sure everybody's experience with a neurologist or a doctor is going to be unique sure but for that doctor to tell my mom that you shouldn't use the walker anymore right to me that's really bad advice you know be, super bad right because like you said once you give up something um it, it, that's when it's gone shift okay another yeah. example so my first encounter with the ms society national ms society was in the 1976 maybe uh-huh they had, were in a support group for family members who lived with ms so once a month this you know probably t- five six couples would get together and their kids and they would talk about life with MS. And the kids would all go off and do whatever, right? While sure. their parents had discussions. So I was uh-huh. never privy to what they were actually talking about. Which, right. In hindsight, I really wish I would have sat in on one. Of them, right. But whatever. I was too little and stupid to realize the value in that. Oh, it was so boring. Right. Right. Back then. Right. Now yeah. I'd be totally fascinated by this. But yeah. But one of the guys, John Os- Osbo, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, John had an Amiga. Do you remember those things? It's like a scooter, like a oh, yeah. high back seat, uh-huh. uh, like a little, you know, three wheel kind of thing. So John's wife um, kind of enabled him, I think, in the wrong way. And she coddled him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he was 42 or so, I right. think, at the time. And he was already pretty bad off. And he had a hard time getting around. And, and so he, he, they, they, she got him this Amiga. So he would, you know, now he's like, oh, I'm on my Amiga. The problem is, is his body shaped 
formed oh. in the shape of the Amiga. So when he got yeah. out of the Amiga, he was still in like that shape of like I'm setting up, but I'm now I'm sitting on my bed, but I, I right. can't move my legs. It's like he locked in the position. Very strange. Well, and he let his Amiga become his mobility. Correct. Right. Yeah. But she would not let him do anything else. Okay. And so he kind of just went along with it. I don't know the whole dynamic. Mm-hmm. I don't know the whole story, but right. he died two years later. Wow. Okay. And I really feel like, in hindsight, looking at that, had he not given yeah. up, right, and, and, and became, I don't want to say addicted, but completely yeah. dependent on his wife, make, help him do everything. Right. She did everything for him, and he stuck in that Amiga, done. Well, and his muscles no longer have a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, his muscles, I mean, the, the connections that could have been going, that your mom kept going as long as possible by doing as much as she could, he, he let those connections die. Right. I, I absolutely believe that. So, yeah. um, you know, kudos to your mom for being stubborn and, and being defiant and, and saying, F you, I'm going to walk in my walker. Right. Because really, I don't think that's a spot for a doctor to say, don't do this unless it's super dangerous. But right. And maybe he was worried about the orange shag carpet, that she was going <laughs> to trip on the orange shag carpet. So maybe that's where he was coming from. Yeah, so he yeah. was a very smart doctor. Yes, he's like, let's look at the checklist. Yes. Oh, the orange shag carpet? No. Nope. Oh, get rid of the walker. Right? Yep. Right, right. Get rid of the walker. Yeah. I hope that doesn't sound too critical because I'm not trying to, I'm not a doctor. Right, I am. I'm a layman. No, I don't know a lot about that aspect of things. But I knew, I know, growing up with something for 34 years yeah. and watching this happen, and of course encountering tons of people throughout my life who were in that MS mm-hmm. support group, and my mom outlived everybody, and she was Stubborn. probably one of the oldest yeah. people in the group. Uh-huh. And again, that something about that stubbornness and that will to live, and again that purpose. Yeah, right. That she said, "It's you guys." That's super important. That's not just for people who live with MS. No, it's that's for everybody. It is for everybody. And same, you know, same thing for everybody that, you know, you don't want to just give up and become addicted to some type of a crutch in right. any way. Right. And I don't think you're critical at all by saying that, Augie. And uh, we're not dictating that you don't listen to your doctor. But I think it. What I what we are saying is that you do always have a choice. Right. As a person, you have a choice. What can I and can I not do? Yeah. And I think uh, giving yourself the can more than the can't is uh, mm. is critical. Giving yourself the can more the, than the can't. Yes. Stay away from the apostrophe. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, so you and I have... Uh, okay. So this is going to be a test of my memory. I have ah. two questions for you. And uh-huh. so I'll, they're both good. You know, I'll, you could write them down. And... I could. But, uh, <laughs> Why would you do that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Because then I'll forget to look at what I wrote. All right. Okay. Um, so you and I have been walking around and uh, or in, in different situations uh, working together. And I'll say something um, like, uh, oh, my leg just went really numb. Or, uh, um, oh, you know, I have spasms going on in my back. And you're like, really? What is that like? Or mm-hmm. I didn't know people had that. Or... Um, and you were with your mom for how long that she had a mess? 34 years. 34 years. Um, what always is interesting to me is to see the recognition in your eyes or just to hear you say it like, oh my God, I didn't Mm -hmm. know my mom went through that. Or I wonder what she went through like that. Um, 
what does that give you in terms of appreciation for not only your mom with MS, but anybody with MS and, and just the things that they're going through? Hmm. The recognition of, the, of what they're going through? First of all, I, want, I thought you were going to say this, which is interesting. Is like, so you have something, right? And you tell me about it, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. And I thought you were going to say, it's interesting, in 34 years with someone directly connected to someone who lives with MS, you didn't know some of these things, right? Yeah, which, which is all, the, yeah, which is definitely another side of that same question, for sure. Yeah, so that's what I first, my first thought was, like, all right. why didn't I know that? And that comes back to, I think, something you said earlier, which is in the 70s, right? And maybe mm-hmm. even in the 80s. We, that generation, my mom's generation, who was born right after the Depression or during the uh-huh. Depression, they didn't talk about stuff like we do. Right. Right? And so I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in a way that mm-hmm. my mom wasn't more open about what she may have been experiencing at any given moment. Because I could certainly tell sometimes right. like she was in pain emotionally physically whatever but she never articulated it so knowing what you know now sorry i to interrupt but i yeah. had to uh, knowing what you know now could do you wish your mom would have because you know how much talking about it eases the pain or can take that away or yeah because uh, i can just see holding on to that yeah you and i are not good at I, I am not good. Holding I got, on to stuff? Yeah. Well, uh, I, you know, I, I obviously need to talk about everything. Yeah. So um, I've always, when you and I talk, I've thought about that, uh, that, man, I wish you would have had the outlet mm-hmm. because it would have been, you would have thought so cathartic. What did she have that was cathartic for her, you know? Right. And so you're right. So two things. One is, um, uh, yes, I wish she could have expressed that to me. I don't know the kind of conversation she had with dad, but I have mm-hmm. asked him from time to time. He says, no, we really didn't talk about it, which is mind blowing to me. Right. Right. Because I'm such an expressive person and my dad's kind of a really expressive person too. Mm-hmm. And I have to say my mom could be because she was artistic. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that, well, why wouldn't you just talk about what you're going through? Right. I mean, hello, 101 psychology, talk about your problems. Yeah. And, and, and vent it. Catharsis comes from venting, right? I yeah. Mean, it's a release valve. So so I wish that we had been able to talk about how did she, though, uh, cope in other ways, right? So if you're not talking about mm-hmm. it, obviously it's expressing itself in some other way. Typically negative, I think, in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. Lots of hostility sometimes. Mom, <laughs> sometimes funny. Right. Um, you know, I, just so people know this, I was a comedian for a long time. So no, I know no. I sound very serious. You still are a comedian. <laughs> I know, but I'm very serious. When I talk about this stuff, I get kind of intense, you know, sure. because this is very personal. But yeah. In uh, fact, I think this is the longest you and I have spoken uh-huh. in a serious tone. Because uh, <laughs> you and I, you know, we'll go out and have a beer or something and, yeah. and be cathartic and talk about what's really going on, which I totally appreciate. So. Yeah. Uh, just for the podcast community out there, here's a gift for you. Augie and Jim are being very serious right now. So <laughs> we will try to be less serious later. Oh, but, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So so uh, I, I I think – so this is an example. So mom is uh, – I want to tell you the CB radio thing. Okay. This, is, this makes me laugh, though maybe people won't think it's funny, is 
we got caught up in the the CB radio craze of right. the seventies. Mm-hmm. So you know, right after Smokey and the Bandit, everybody had to go buy a stupid CB radio. So my dad buys this Cobra. It's a base station, uh-huh. right? Is, you're familiar with CBs? I I can see the Cobra logo at, mm-hmm. at Kmart, right? Right. Now. So this mm-hmm. big, like probably about the size of of a stereo system. Mm-hmm. And it's got you know all these dials, thirty nine channels, yada yada, mm-hmm. and and of course it's got the the book, right? The FCC guidelines for how to communicate with the codes, which I'm going through. Like I want to know what it's. How do you ask for the time? How do you ask for your location? How do mm-hmm. you ask for, you know, ten four, ten eleven, ten twenty, ten forty, whatever. So I'm <laughs> learning the codes. So I'm a geeking out on this, and we get really involved in the local CB culture. So the little town of Mason. Remember, no mobile phones, no internet, no nothing, right? The only way you're going to talk to somebody is if you're in person, mm-hmm. you write a letter, right? Or you're on the phone. Mm-hmm. But the only open, right, way to to peep, right? Yeah. <laughs> to hear what other people are doing was the CB radio, right? Because it's like a, a big walkie-talkie for those who are 20 and have no idea what the hell we're talking about. Right. Right? Uh, open, like a walkie-talkie that's going, you know, can go 20 miles, right? So, so... um we got really into the CB culture. There were a bunch of local people, like there was a Broom Pusher, who was a janitor, but that's uh-huh. his handle, right? So remember, one of the rules of the CB radio is you have to, you can't use your real name, so you right. have to have a handle, right? Or as we call a, now an alias, right? So like yeah. on Twitter, Smokey and the Bandit, Smokey and the Bandit, right? Yeah, yeah. Bandit, and and uh, who's Jerry Reed? Uh, Snowman. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Snowman. Right, yeah. Breaker Breaker One Nine. This is no Goo. Anyway, so nice. Thank you. So everybody has to choose a handle. So my dad, he chooses uh, Marauder, mm-hmm. right? Because either he fashions himself a badass, or in fact, it's because our his favorite car was a Mercury Marauder that okay. he had bought, and my brother uh, eventually destroyed in a car accident. <laughs> All right, so that's my dad. My mom's name was Cold Feet. Her handle. Uh-huh. Because she actually had cold feet, right? <laughs> my dad was that always complaining, uh-huh. right? Because her circulation was impacted by mm-hmm. MS, right? Mm-hmm. So they made a kind of fun of it. My brother was called Donkey Sock. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, nor do I yeah. want to know. No. And I think somebody out there is probably laughing because they may know something that you and I don't. Yes. I don't know what that yes. means. I'm not even going to go there. And right. my name, for some stupid reason, I came up with, because I love naming things. Mm-hmm. This is a talent I have formed, and I should get paid for it now. But yeah. you're not going to believe it from this name. My handle was Purple Penguin. <laughs> Yes. That's not sexual, do, okay? Do it's not. not. It's I was I was like ten or eleven yeah, years old yeah. when I came up with this name, and it was just like I love penguins, mm-hmm. and for some reason I'm like purple penguin. That's kind of cute. So my dad is so fanatical about the CB radio crap right. that we go into town. He takes us to town. He's like, we're gonna get T-shirts made with our handles on them. So we each had a T-shirt. Because back in the seventies, that's what you right? did is get T-shirts. Made. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So we went to this custom T-shirt joint. Yep. And we had. These shirts made with these press-on, you know, like de- iron-on decals, and our names. So I had an actual like light blue T-shirt mm-hmm. with a with a purple penguin that said "Purple Penguin." Classic. That's how far we went with Classic. this. Classic. Okay. So now imagine this. This is I wanted to set this up because to show you how fanatic we are about the CB radio. So mm-hmm. every day on the way to work, my mom. And dad would talk until he was out of range. Breaker, mm-hmm. breaker, one nine. This is Cold Feet from Marauder. Marauder, come in. 
yeah, this is Marauder. Go back. Bring it back, Cold Feet. And they would talk, right, for like 20 minutes or so until Dad was out of range. Okay, well, I'll talk to you later on the 10-9 or whatever. Yeah. You know, he's like, okay. So talking and driving, you know, now that's illegal. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. So it's kind of hey. like, you know, you see cop movies or cop cop movies. Or, yeah. And they're I like just, a little, you know. Yeah. I was equating it to the cell phone now. Well, I know. I know what you are. Okay. I know. I know exactly what you're saying. Okay. So, All yeah. Right. So one hand with, with the CB mic that you have to click on and off, yeah. right, to talk to. And then you got one hand on the wheel. Probably not. So mom would. Anyway, that was the morning ritual. Uh-huh. And this is where it got fun. So I'd get home about three o'clock from school. And I would call my friend um, Motorcycle Kid. Nice. He, <laughs> Doug Mack. And Doug had a motorcycle, so hence Motorcycle Kid, right? And that Very purple good. penguin. Like, Breaker, uh-huh. Breaker, one nine. This is Purple Penguin to Motorcycle Kid. Motorcycle Kid, you out there? Yeah, this is Motorcycle Kid. And come on back, Purple Penguin. Yeah, well, we know. want to go. So we'd have a little talk. And then right. I had another friend I'd get on there with whose name I forget. Anyway, I would finish my ritual. And then. About 3.42 p.m., Dad would ultimately be in range, probably. Mm -hmm. Probably. So that was what Mom expected, Uh was that Dad would be in range of her CB call at 3.42. Breaker, breaker, one nine. This is cold feet from Marauder. Marauder, come in. And then you just hear the squelch. Right. Breaker, breaker, one nine. uh, Cold feet from Marauder. Marauder, come back now. Breaker, breaker, one nine, cold feet from Marauder. Marauder, are you out there? <laughs> God damn it, Ben Garrett, I know you're out there. Come back. <laughs> yeah, so it would escalate, right? Right. <laughs> from this, like, timid little, man, seriously, my mom's like 5'3". Uh-huh. Little lady sitting in this chair. Right. You know, she can't walk now. And she's got and- this CB radio, and it's like, her husband better be answering that thing at 342 or he's dead well and think about it that's what she had to look forward to for crying out loud i could understand exactly right right yeah right so that would happen almost every day Mm -hmm. and i thought it was really funny at the same time i started it would because she would get so worked up about it yeah and then it started you know coming out in other ways like my dad became the blame for everything at the house, uh-huh. right? So when he's not there, I'm there. So my brother's older, right? He's off mm-hmm. somewhere else. It's me and mom. Mm-hmm. And so mom would like, uh, she, all of a sudden, I, I'd be in the bedroom, you know, looking at Rush albums or writing uh-huh. a song or something. All uh-huh. of a sudden I hear this, God damn it, Bud Garrett, where's my scotch tape? <laughs> like, your scotch tape? Like, where's my scotch tape? Your dad's moved my scotch tape again. And I'd run out. You know, and I'm very calm. This is where I learned something very valuable in life is uh-huh. if you're calm, right, and somebody's losing their mind, you can probably calm them down too. Bring them down to your level. Don't match them. And wow. so I go out there go, Mom, what's going on? Here, father's moved my scotch tape again. I'm like, are you sure you moved the scotch tape? I know he moved it. He's always moving my stuff. And I'd open up the drawer. i go, you mean this scotch tape? Oh. And she'd oh. immediately calm down. It's fantastic. So super reactionary personality. What's funny about that? is that I know how to deal with anybody who's losing their head. Uh-huh. The problem is I'm also reactionary. So when I'm, something goes out of my way, like, where's my shoes head? Like, it's you. To hear you say that, that, that you learned very young to stay calm. Again, I've done some workshops with you. Or I, you know, I've seen you get hyped up, and I'm like, I didn't think you were the calm one, Augie. So you haven't, you haven't seen me, though, when somebody's losing it. 
Uh, no. Right. No. So I'm going to lose it once. And okay. When you're losing it, I'm going to lose it and see you calm down. <laughs> because that is a, that's a great tool if you're able to hold on to that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's it's very easy to be reactionary. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm sure as, as a person with a mess without a lot of access to do much, that the anger is going to come out. Yeah. So I, I could see that. Uh I do want to talk about your naming prowess and the fact that uh, your bike team is called Sexy Nerd, mm-hmm. which I think is a fantastic name. Uh, and that was also the name of a show that you did? Yeah. Yeah. So um, as a little background, um, I sold everything I owned in 2000, at the, uh-huh. or 2001, I guess, uh, after the first stock market correction. Mm-hmm. And, and tell everybody what everything you owned is. Everything at that time was a beautiful house, a beautiful car, lots of clothes and furniture. Uh, it was as a result of many years of, I would say, I hate to say be successful, but I, I ran a marketing and design agency with a couple of my friends that mm-hmm. did well. We were acquired, got a lot of money. And then um, a year after this company bought us and we were working for them as part mm-hmm. of a new division, they've they let, laid us off. So, and they get, I got a severance package, which was nice. But at the same time, I was kind of lost. It was the mm-hmm. worst year of my life. I had everything mm-hmm. I ever wanted financially, right, and, and materialistically speaking. But right. I, I hated everything. It's a weird dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> so, I wasn't ready for it, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. How so, old were you? F- uh, th- 35. 30, yeah. 34, 35. So, this company lays me off. A week before my first round of stock vest. you want to know how much it was or not? Uh, sure, yeah. $500,000. So over a three-year period, I would have made about a million and a half dollars through the invest through the acquisition of our company because our stock would have vested. We were only right. two of 27 stockholders in a company with 2500 So do they employees. let you go so that your stocks wouldn't vest? That's correct. That's a little bit maddening. I know. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, because I was miserable. And right. And that's a whole other story. But anyway, um, so I sold everything I owned and I uh, a few months later, and I decided I'm going to travel around the world and see what that's like. So I had a year of, do you know this? I had a, um, it's what's called the Around the World Trip RTW uh, ticket, mm-hmm. which you can purchase up to, so 12 months of travel back to back, right? Mm-hmm. So you can book like, I'm going to go from Portland to Detroit to New York City, to London, England, to um, uh, Madrid. It's kind of like a Euro right? pass. But yeah, right. But, but it's, all booked, it's all booked in advance uh-huh. with certain dates, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had gone, I'd booked out a year in advance all the way to, across Europe through the Middle East to Kuala Lumpur. And that's where that's as far as I could get out, right? Because I uh-huh. still wanted to go, maybe I'll go to Australia and Hawaii. So mm-hmm. I had enough money right to go do these things i was single um and i was like free you know to go do what i wanted uh, but anyway <laughs> during that trip as some something went awry with this girl i was starting to see right before uh-huh. i left uh-huh. and of course that shortened my trip significantly but as as i was coming i went back to the states early so about two or three months into this trip i went back to the states and now so i was flying from paris back to portland um, I said, screw this. Why am I going to travel for a year 
I know what I want to do. I want to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> so this is insane, right? I'm, I'm 35. Um, I have, you know, I was pretty successful in the internet when it first, the dot-com boom. Mm-hmm. And then it all kind of fell apart. But I'm like, I could have continued down that path at the mm-hmm. time. I didn't want to. I'm like, screw that. So, uh, you know, instead I decided to go do stand-up. So I, I sold my house and my car and all that, like I said. And I, I ended up going to L.A. in the right before 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And I started doing stand-up. And I was terrible. Um, you know, my this is why I did it. Okay, I should tell you this. Because every, almost everything in my life comes back to my mom. Mm-hmm. When I was a teenager, um, my dad... You know, I said he was funny, right? So the first thing he says to us when mom comes home from the hospital is, oh, you, now you get to do more dishes. Right. Right. Which is, is it's like, okay, I'm going to stab this moment. I'm going to deflate the dark power of this moment with a little humor, just Comedic a little relief. bit, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, so it's not as bad as like, yes, your mom has MS and our lives are over. It's like, mm-hmm. your mom has MS and we're going to deal with it. Right. And so dad was always being silly mm-hmm. and making my mom laugh. And my mom was not funny, but she had a great sense of humor. She had mm-hmm. a great, she was a great audience. So I started learning, like, if I make my mom laugh, mom gets her mind off of the shit mm-hmm. that she's going through, right? And, and this becomes my, my mission. Mm-hmm. It's like, how am I going to make mom laugh? So around the dinner table, I start being stupid. Uh-huh. You know, I, I don't want to say there were routines, because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I was experimenting with voices and mm-hmm. sounds and physical antics. And, you know, I never had like a comic in particular that I liked. Right. I just knew there was something like I could, for some reason, I was able to make her laugh. I didn't quite understand the chemistry that was going on, but it was now was a challenge. And it's cathartic for you, I'm sure, to see it be cathartic for her. I mean, that's that's a gift. Yes, yeah, and it, like you know, there's a, a phrase I, I heard last year: when one person in the family has MS, everybody in the family has MS, right? right. Yep. And so we we really did. Mm-hmm. And so together, collectively, my dad, my brother, and I all—they're both really funny, and mm-hmm. they were both, you know, my brother's a role model of, of sound effects, right? <laughs> so when I'm I'd be sharing a story, my brother's like going brum, brum, like so we were riding in the, nice. the Chevy Nova, you know, we're uh-huh. going down the 27, brum, and he's nice. over there making these noises. It's fantastic. And so awesome. because of my brother, I can make sound effects. It yeah. sounds stupid, but hey, it's... You know what? <laughs> I got to tell you, it's not stupid because when my kids were younger, I really did try to teach them. And they'll still say sometimes, uh, they'll do a sound effect of a helicopter, for instance. Uh-huh. And girls are not good at sound effects. <laughs> and they'll say, yep, dad, I can still do that one. Or, you know, so yeah. I, I think it's important in life to, yes. to do sound effects. Yes, so it's very so I, I get it. So I'm glad your brother was able to, to kind of yeah. add the color commentation to your to And your it's story. really great that you just said that girls can't do sound effects. Yeah. I'm sure that won't get backlash. <laughs> no, um, not at all. But... If there is, you know who was a really good person with sound effects is Andrea from the MS. Ah, she is. She did sound effects constantly. Yes, yes. And uh, again, just like we're not telling doctors to do this or that, we're not telling girls that they can't do sound effects. (laughs) It's just simply in the observation is all. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, sorry. You can always edit that out. Okay, so so, um, where was I going with this? So I go to L.A. I do do stand up for several years. Yes. Uh, sexy nerd sexy is nerds. where this That's started. Right. I, was, I knew. I was going okay. to okay. get back on track. 
And I'm not sure you're old. You know, you forget things. So I do forget things. And I, I oh, you forget that I'm old? No. Oh, okay. I just, I'm not really that old. I mean, no, I'm just watching you forget. <laughs> forget it. I'm 50. I just turned 50, so I get a little self-conscious. Like you know, I don't feel like I'm 50. What the hell does that mean? But you don't. You don't act 50. You don't. I I would <laughs> never think of you as 50. Yeah. Uh, my my joke is I just turned 46, wow. and people are like. You know, do you feel 46? And I said, well, honestly, I feel like I'm friggin' 80. <laughs> right. The way my body is. So mm-hmm. 46 is is easy. 46 is a gift. So yeah. you don't. But see, the same with you, though. That That's your how you feel inside. But from right. ex- externally looking at you and the way you are and your attitude, I would never think that either. Yeah. You have a much younger mind. And I think that's one of the gifts you have, which will sustain you through life and through what you're going through, is that attitude. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're because, welcome. Because... Uh, Laughter is important, yeah. um, and not being your age, not yeah. yeah. So thank you, uh, sexy nerd. So sexy nerd. Sexy nerd is born out of this. I go do stand up for several years, right? And mom, because mom always said this. So after, see, I'm, I know I'm bouncing back and forth. When I was a kid, around the dinner table, making her laugh, she go, "You're so funny. You should be a comedian. You're so funny. You should be a comic. You're so funny." She's saying that to me all the time. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to be a comedian because, as you know, I like Rush and I'm a drummer. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a musician. And I was a musician for a long time. And that was my goal in life was I want to be the next Neil Peart, you know, who's mm-hmm. the drummer of Rush. Um, or Sting, who is my another big role model, or Prince yeah. or Peter Gabriel. Like, I mm-hmm. love all these guys. And I played in bands and I wrote songs and I worked in the studio. I did all, all that stuff. Uh, but what I... What I was really good at, I think, and, and more natural was was a funny person, right? Because mm-hmm. because that's what the whole my whole mantra is rooted in is mm-hmm. how can I make mom laugh? Because it makes her feel better, makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. And then when I started doing it with my friends at the lunch table, right, and they're laughing their ass off, right. And I started to learn like, oh, you do this thing or this thing or, you know, and they just start going crazy. Mm-hmm. And there's some and as someone who is kind of freaky and on the fringe. This is a great way to get attention, and it made me feel whole. Right. Like, yeah. Like I have a value here. That's what I was gonna say. It, it, it becomes your mo, right? Yes. Augie's gonna crack you up, so yeah. It becomes your. It becomes expected too. Right. So mom encourages me to be funny, mm-hmm. but I don't really listen to that until I get much older. And I go to LA and I start doing stand up, mm-hmm. and I I went through that whole experience and I did I did really well, and uh, eventually I came back to Portland. Uh, after seven years being down there and going through the Second City program and doing improv and sketch and meeting people and working on TV pilots, yada, yada. Anyway, um, I came back and I always wanted to write a, a solo show, like mm-hmm. a one-man show. Now, if people hear one-man show, they're like, oh, he's off wearing tights and doing dance. No. Yeah. Um, it's storytelling at its, its most basic form. And I wrote a story uh, working with somebody else about wanting like my like the true story of me feeling trapped in a small town in michigan Mm -hmm. now and i want to be a rock star right so i feel trapped by this small town life and how they're trying to keep me there and how i want to escape and go out into the world and be a worldly man right Mm -hmm. and play drums on stage and record in the studio with my friends and write great songs and and not about fame necessarily but it was more about the the freedom that that lifestyle represented it was a sure. complete antithesis of a factory job right where you're trapped in this one spot now i'm all over the place i'm never locked down man you're not going to lock me down ever right which is interesting because my mom's experience is the complete opposite where her body yeah. right is becoming more and more of a trap 
mm-hmm. not by her choice. And she can't go out into the world and follow her dream. And her thing, which was secret, and she revealed this to me. Want me to tell you this sad story? Mm-hmm. Um, one day, I, guess, I don't know, I'm guessing I'm 13. Um, so she came to me with a scrapbook. And it looked like it was from the 50s. And then she opened, She goes, look at this. So I said, okay. And I opened it up and there were all these drawings. And they were pencil drawings and they were beautiful drawings of flowers and people and, mm-hmm. you know, landscapes. And, I, and I'm like, who, who did these? She's like, I did. You, you drew these, Mom? She's like, yeah. And I couldn't believe it because I'm also, a, a, I was an illustrator, you know. And right. I had no idea my mom was also an illustrator. Uh-huh. And these are really fantastic drawings, way better than anything I could do. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, I want you to take them to the burning barrel and burn them. Mm. And I was taken aback by this. Like, you just showed me, you've just revealed this mm-hmm. thing that nobody in our household knows about. Not even my dad knows this thing. Right. You're coming to me, uh-huh. your youngest son, and trusting me with this secret Right, and now you're asking me to destroy it. Why did she want you to destroy it? I know you're going to get to it, but well, I think she wanted me to do it because she knew she was losing her ability to do uh-huh. this, uh-huh. and she didn't want a reminder, right, of of that yeah. of that talent and how the talent was dissipating because of MS, and she knew she wasn't going to regain it. Uh huh. And so she was just how hard go. that is. You know, it's yeah. it's very hard to yeah. So I understand that. Yeah. And so, yeah. so she reveals this to me, and of course, it's my mom. I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to what my mom wants me to do. I knew, mm-hmm. she, I, you know, instinctively, I, I maybe intellectually at that time I didn't quite understand it, but I think instinctively I knew, like, well, she's got a good reason for me to do this. So I'm right. going to follow her orders. And I went out, you know, in the country, we people burn stuff in big oil drums. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. So I went out there, and I one at a time I dropped these drawings into the burning barrel and. I watched them go up in smoke. and that, Well, that's a visual you never forget. Yeah. Yeah. And so that scene is part is a key part of Sexy Nerd, right? The mm-hmm. solo show. So the show, it transformed from like just me talking about how I wanted to be a rock star, essentially, and live out that dream on stage in front of a live audience now, mm-hmm. right? Where I can go back in time and I can say, look at my life. I was 14 years old. I wanted to be a musician. I started learning all these different instruments. I played in bands, yada, yada, yada. And now I'm going to play some of the stuff I wrote mm-hmm. way back then for you now. Uh-huh. And and for one night, I'm going to do, combine my stories with comedy, with my music, right? So it was kind of a, this fusion of those things. But as I went through the process with one of my co-writers, she got me to think about like, you know, well, what about your mom? How does your mom tie into the story? And I mm-hmm. realized she's right. You know, my mom is kind of the, a, a, a counterpoint to what I'm mm-hmm. trying to do, right? I'm trying to escape. She can't, right? And she's handing the baton to me. That moment when she asked me to burn those drawings was kind of a transference. Like, I need you to go out into the world and do this thing that you love. Because she knew I was an artist and I was a writer at the time when I was a kid and I was just starting to get into music maybe. She knew that she wanted to push me out into the world and do that. So Mm -hmm. the story ended up becoming about those two things. Right. My pursuit of music at the same time, mom uh, encouraging me, the one person more than anybody in my house, because I can tell you my dad, 
he was he encouraging. Encourage he he didn't discourage it. Uh-huh. He he helped me get the things I needed to do to be a musician. Like he helped mm-hmm. he got a bass guitar and amp for me when I wanted to play. He he got a job helped me get a job so I could buy a drum set. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he was he was pivotal in in my pursuit of things but he wasn't he didn't like music he wasn't an artist you know he didn't have that sensibility like my mom did so it sounds like i mean that was a great connection for you and your mom yeah and uh something that um i can just see that being cathartic for her you know to be able to have a son that she sees that in so yeah so that's the story right so i mean in a nutshell it's it's a story about my mom and i and i called it sexy nerd because I'm a sexy nerd. I mean, exactly. I'm a kind of dorky looking Woody Allen, Andy Dick kind of guy who, you know, is often misperceived as, as someone who's like a computer dork. When I'm not, I'm an artistic person, right? Who just happens to have the wrong. As I, it's called it's called sexy nerd rock star trapped in a nerd's body. Yes. So I I always say for those who like Led Zeppelin, uh, I'm Robert Plant trapped in the body of Woody Allen. Yeah. That right. would make and sense. You know me, yes. And, and, I, and I does can that see sound that. true? That, yep, that is very, <laughs> that is very true. Uh, and I love that name, sexy nerd, for you because, uh, and I also, I guess, what I like is having the confidence behind it. You know, I always tell people, you know, some when people give me the look or when I'm out in public, I always have a couple canned responses that uh, people say, "Oh yeah, what? How come?" How come you're riding that cooler? How come you can't walk? Yeah. And I'll say, well, I have MS. And and uh, they'll give me that look of, oh, poor you or something. And, and I'll say, you know, I agree. I'm way too good looking to have MS, you know? <laughs> Same yeah. type of thing yeah. as, as sexy nerd. So it's great to own it. And I, I think it, it helps in that regard to be able to do that. Uh, and I never got to see that show, which mm. I'm really bummed about because that's when I very first met you is when you were doing that and you had come to RMS group yeah. to kind of uh, ask people to, you know, to go to the show. So I, I, I'm bummed that I never got to see that. So if you ever bring it back, I'm the first <laughs> one to buy a ticket. Well, you know, if, if I can get like 500 people to, to buy a ticket and help me produce it because it's very typically putting on a show, yeah. you know, having come from a Hollywood experience, I know how to produce a good show. It's expensive mm-hmm. uh, from and the time-consuming, right? sure. time-consuming from yeah. hiring the venue or finding the venue to the you know whatever deal I can make with the venue to uh, hiring a crew mm-hmm. to the rehearsal process, which I told you is is insane. Like sixty days straight, two run complete run-throughs a day until the night of the show. Meaning, and it's an hour and fifteen minutes, so two and a half hours a day. Right for sixty days, a hundred and what thirty hours ish, yeah, of, of like just rehearsal because it's so complicated. It's yeah. not like I'm just up there telling the story because I've got guitars, I've got bass, I've yeah. got a PowerPoint presentation, I've got all these cues and things. It's so complicated, and that's why I learned my lesson doing that show the first time. Is like I'm just gonna go tell stories yeah. <laughs> on stage, yeah. which is what I did for the next thing I did, which is a whole other story. Right, right. Um, so. I wanted to wrap that everything you've said uh, because I uh, I love the passion that you have for your mom and you say this all the time that you had told her I think when she was on her deathbed uh-huh. that you will never forget her that you'll honor her every day yeah which by God you do Augie you do that every day 
And uh, the thing that I am wondering about with your job at the MS Society is um, what empathy do you have that you can then see uh, for others that have MS right now and um, trying to either take some of their pain away by talking about telling stories, which is, you know, a lot of what you and I believe is that, mm-hmm. you know, being vulnerable, which is something your mom didn't have the luxury to do or didn't choose to do. Right. But being vulnerable is so cathartic and a very good way to uh, bring people into your story. So um, through everything you went through with your mom, what does that bring into your job today? Hmm. Lots of, so much, right? Uh, Like you said, just to comment on the, when my mom died in 2009, I was there with her. I feel fortunate. And I did say that, you know, I said, I will remember you every day for the rest of my life, like one minute before Mm -hmm. she she died. Mm -hmm. And, and so I feel very fortunate that at the time that happened, I was not working for the National MS Society. In fact, I hadn't been involved in anything MS related since her support group had disbanded many, many years before mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So uh, to, and, and Sexy Nerd didn't happen until after she died. So her dying was right as I was in the middle of writing this thing. And and then in a way, that was my first, you know, way to honor her, right? Mm-hmm. Was to go out and, and like, I'm gonna, I, I need to share my mom's story because I, this is why I do this work is um, and hopefully this will help answer the question about empathy is I don't want anybody to have and you included and you know because I've told you this before mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to have to go through with, with what my mom had to go through it was very difficult mm-hmm. physically and emotionally and on every possible way so I am dedicated to doing this work because obviously I want to find a cure just like we all do uh, at the same time, and as, you know, until that happens, um, it's it's important for me to share my mom's story because I know they, they when they hear it, they can identify with it, and it helps them open up. One of the things that happened to me at Sexy Nerd, which was really powerful, after the show, people will come up to me and they'll talk to me for a mm-hmm. while. I get a line of people right. Mm-hmm. The person at the end of the line was a young girl, well, young, thirty-two. Mm-hmm. And she had difficulty speaking, just like my mom. My mom, you know, MS, again, can affect you in so many ways. And it affected my mom in every way possible. Mm -hmm. And you could barely understand what what she was saying. And and, uh, in my show, I talk a lot about how we use humor to cope, right, Mm -hmm. with MS. And now that was a powerful way for my mom to, to deal with the disease. And this girl said... Now that I have seen, I don't want to imitate her stutter, but she goes, now that I've seen your mm-hmm. show and, I, and I've heard how your mom dealt with it, she goes, I've been so depressed and so bitter. She goes, but I'm going to start using humor in my life to, to try to feel better. And that one person, yep. one person said that to me. Made, I mean. Made all the difference. It, all that 130 hours of practice. Yes. I mean, that one person, that uh and when you're touching somebody, you know, that vulnerability is, is where you make such strong connections, which is cool. Yeah. And now in my work, as you know, you know, I emcee almost every event that we do in the right. Oregon chapter. Mm-hmm. 
and I get up on stage at Walk MS and at Bike MS and the Gala MS. And, mm-hmm. you know, you and I were we got to do a workshop together about storytelling down at the National Conference in Texas, which was really cool a couple months ago. Which I think just became magical. Yeah. I mean, right. the second session that we did, because you could see it in people's eyes, they actually started, on, they, they got to experience telling their story. And some of them, I don't think, had told their story ever. Yeah. So they got to tell other people, and and uh, you know people stood up and and gave hugs, and and it was a connection. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. So I was very honored to be a part of that. Yeah, and so for me, like helping other people tell their story, and by story that doesn't mean their whole life story. It could right. just be like a scene, right? Mm-hmm. Which you're really good at doing. Um, you know, I went to the neurologist the other day and this thing happened, right? Or mm-hmm. I, you know, the, like when I talk about mom and the day that um, she had me burn her drawings. Mm-hmm. That's a scene. That's not a whole story. But when people can go to that place and they can share that story and then get it out. And I'm by sharing, I mean actually telling people, uh-huh. right? Whether they wrote it or they're in face-to-face or in one-to-many. Um, like you said, showing that vulnerability and giving people the permission, I think, is the bigger thing, which I think uh-huh. I'm good at doing. I give you yeah. permission to open up because here's the secret, and you know this. If I lead with my pain, right, if mm-hmm. I lead with the thing that I'm challenged by or I'm struggling with or that's hurt me, my awkwardness, my embarrassing moment, mm-hmm. you're going to probably go, yeah, I can identify with that. Now, let me share one of my things, right? Yeah. But it's our job, I think, and this is a big part of what I like doing. I feel responsible. Like, I need to tell you what I've gone through mm-hmm. in my life. And no, I don't live with MS. I will never know exactly what that's like. But I can tell you, I watched somebody for a long time and what it was like and mm-hmm. how it in- infused everything that happened in our household. And it is so much a part of my life, right? It's a part of who I am. It is in my DNA. I, right. I, I can't get rid of it. Uh-huh. And now it's my mission. Right. Like I want to help people not only find that cure, like I said, but how can I how can I get on stage and be funny for a minute mm-hmm. and get your mind off? Of it? How can I share a story about my life and my mom and how that might make you go, oh, I get that. I relate with that and I can feel better for a minute. Or how can I help somebody like, you know, like you, mm-hmm. you know, um, get it out too? right. Your whole point of this podcast and what we originally talked about, if it's OK to say. Yeah, absolutely. It is like, by the way. Uh, you are the person who got me started in this podcast and uh, you came over to the house and, and I thought you were going to do a podcast <laughs> and that you just wanted my wife and I to be interviewees. And by the time you left, I all of a sudden was going to start a podcast. So, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but it has been amazing for me and so cathartic. And it actually, like your mom had the purpose of you boys um, you know, I have my family. I have a lot of wonderful things. This also became a purpose for me in a really dark spot. So uh, I will be eternally grateful uh, to you for that. And now you go ahead with what you're going to say. Cause... Well, thank you. Yeah. So when I came to you, um, and I'm glad you took the challenge. I The way when you <laughs> said it, the first time you said it, I'm like, no way. I, I I'm having a hard time even getting up in the morning. I I was very depressed. I was um, stuck in my own misery. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm like, how the heck am I going to go out and talk about this stuff? 
But as I talk to you further, do you ever get to that point when you're talking with somebody like, oh, crap, I'm going to have to say yes. <laughs> you know, because I knew it was the right thing for me to do. Mm -hmm. I knew it was the thing that would help me. It was just going to be really friggin' hard mm -hmm. for me to do. Yeah. And uh, it is still hard, but it's so rewarding. So, uh, and it's nice to, sometimes when people say, hey, Jim, what have you been up to? At a, sometimes I've been in the house for a long period of time. I haven't been up to really much of anything. And so people would say, hey, what have you been up to? Oh, I've been doing my podcast. Or uh, it's really nice to go out someplace and have somebody say, hey, I listened to that podcast and um, got a lot out of it. And so, yeah, very rewarding. There you go, right? Yeah. So, so mission accomplished, right? Yes. If I can help somebody like you um, to get out of your head, Mm -hmm. Right to move through a dark period. Um, it's kind of the, the central theme of my life, right? Like I went through, I watched this thing happen, this uh -huh. darkness. I lived inside this sort of darkness, but we found a way to bring a light to it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and to into 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 uh, and to be positive and to and to have fun and to laugh, you know, and. Um, despite all that pain, I mean, and mm -hmm. honestly, I think you see this in a lot of things is the people who have the most pain also seem, seem, seem to have the strongest sense of humor because it's a very important coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And it's and it is absolutely at the foundation of who I am. Um, and, you know, when I approached you about this podcast, um, I just thought, here's a guy who's got such a beautiful voice. OK, thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You know, I don't have that voice. You have this great broadcaster voice. I knew you were you had done this work in mm -hmm. a different way in your old life. And that, you know, it's like, why not tap into somebody who's got a talent and a, an ability? I think you're also a great interviewer and you have such, you're so thoughtful. And, you're, and your willingness to be raw mm -hmm. is so key. And it's and it's great when I've listened to the podcast that you've done, and of course as executive producer, I guess yeah. I've listened to everything. Right, and I love it when somebody finally opens up and goes to that spot, uh -huh. right? Because as you know, how are you really doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm fine. Right? No, you're probably not. You're probably lying because we've been programmed to say I'm fine because we don't want to get into a long-winded conversation with somebody. Mm -hmm. But if somebody was to honestly answer that. Like I think you've been successful at doing and will continue to do so is amazing. And it's the catharsis that they need. When you say, mm -hmm. oh, I'm wearing a diaper right now. Yeah. Right. Or I calf or I fell in the toilet or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right. All of a sudden, like, you did? Oh, so, my God. You do that too? Right. Oh, my God. Somebody, I, I have been dying to talk to somebody who does this. I didn't realize anybody else did that. I thought I was the only one. Yeah. You know, it's a lonely, it's a lonely place to be if you think you're the only one. Um, but like you say, when you lead with your pain, um, somebody is able to say, oh, my God, I've done that, too. Yeah. And then suddenly and, pain, like think of it like two pieces, pain hits each other head on like an oncoming locomotive, like bang, bang, like a head on uh -huh. collision of pain. Suddenly from that, though, is this release. Yeah. And like suddenly you start laughing about it because like, yes, it sounds terrible to fall into the toilet. Right. At the same time, if you look back and you're like, actually, that's kind of funny. Oh, right. it was hilarious. It's, it's all in how you perceive it, though, right? Because right. if you wanted to be angry about it, right? or if you Which wanted... I have been. Yeah. I, I've been extremely angry about those things as well, thinking, I'm so screwed, I can't do anything. You know, it, it's easy to take your mind there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 
yeah. it's it's much better for the body and you can feel it you can feel the chemistry in your body when yeah. i mean when you smile uh it's much better chemistry for sure than than being pissed off and angry so yeah. yes uh big difference yeah. big difference yeah so there's a little lessons you know mom um she could have been a really angry person. Mm-hmm. She chose to be positive. Yeah, she you know she was reactionary. She got mad at the dad at the CB radio and and talking about scotch tape and all these mm-hmm. things. But at the end of the day, my mom was always smiling and she was saying, "I love you," and you should be a comedian. And you know, I, I like to think of it this way. Um, you know, my mom lost her ability to walk. My mm-hmm. mom lost her ability to talk. Um, I am her legs. I am her voice. Mm-hmm. And if I were to spend my life not honoring her memory mm-hmm. and helping other people who are going through what she went through or trying to find a way to stop it, mm-hmm. right, then my life is is a waste. You know, I don't want my mom's life to have been for nil. I want to go into the world... And share her story so people know that you can get through this. We will figure this out. Mm-hmm. We need to work together, though. And uh, and I feel so fortunate, you know, that I get to do this work. Well, I feel fortunate because I have that creative side to me. And being around you, I'm able to uh, talk the language and um, have been able to see, again, how important it is for... For people to let go and to have that uh, cathartic release, so uh, it's important work. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for for passing this on. Yeah. Um, the uh, I'd like to invite you back again <laughs> because this is only one tiny portion of all the things that that I know you and I can talk about. Um, but before we go, I have a uh, who, what's the lead? Who's the lead singer of Rush? Geddy Lee. Okay, if you ran in ran into him on the street, mm-hmm. what is a question you would ask him that he'd never been heard before? What I, I know exactly the question. What is the person saying in the background right as the guitar solo starts in the song "The Camera Eye"? It sounds like, "Hey, fella." what you do in gub is that what it is because i know there's a place somewhere where you guys talked about this is like 1980 81 Mm -hmm. you talked about you were watching this woody allen movie called um take the money and run and there's a scene in which woody allen walks up to the bank teller and he writes down a, a little piece of paper he's like this is a you know i've got a gun but he misspells it, and and the lady's like, um, "I'm sorry, but uh, it says you've you've got a gub." He's like, oh, "It says clearly says gun. <laughs> it's not it's not gub." She's like, "No, this 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 says this says gub." He's like, "No, it's it's a I've got a pistol," and and like she's like, "Hold on a second. You sound like Woody Allen. And it's like, "Let me get the bank manager." And the bank manager comes in. He's like, "He's like Jim. Is is this? Does that say gun?" He's like, "No, that clearly says gub." He's like, "No." It says gun. Come on. And then like, wait, wait a minute. Let me get the other guy. And then the president, he's like, Bill, what does that say? Oh, that's that's definitely gub. So a bank robbery becomes a, a spell check. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so I've always been fascinated because I love Woody Allen movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I love Rush. And I know there's some connection there, but I can't t- isolate it because it's so 
in the background Obscure. in this thing. But you, there's two people who just have a little more interaction, and you're like, who is it? And are they really saying that? That's my question. Awesome question. <laughs> okay, awesome question. Now, I wanted to get your mind off of it for a second, but uh, now, if you were able to see your mom again, mm -hmm. what would you say to her? Wow, I never thought about that before. If I was able to see my mom again. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's thanks for throwing that one at me. I would say I love you very much. And I want you to know that the thing I said to you right before you died, um, I'm doing it, Mom. And I'll always remember. Well, I can't say this for sure, but I have a pretty good feeling that she knows that you're honoring her every day. And uh, I know that when you and I do events or we're, we're someplace doing something, I always tell you that your mom's right there because I, I feel like she is. So, yeah. um, Augie, thank you for coming here to be on the podcast that you helped me get started. <laughs> uh, definitely would love for you to come back and, and we talk about some more things. And also, thank you for doing all that you do for the MS cause. And uh, I think we could clearly say that you and I are on a mission to, you know, a cure may not be right around the corner, but what we have until we find a cure is we have each other. Each other? Each other. <laughs> but what we have until we find a cure is that we have each other and those connections between us, which I think people can find a lot of, uh, a lot of hope in for sure. So yeah. thank you for being here. Thank you. Yep. So and, great. Yep. Keep on going out there, being a sexy nerd. I will. You keep being a handsome man. <laughs> of all the talents Augie has and brings not only to the MS cause, but to the people around him, what I haven't mentioned, and it's the one that's so hard to measure until you hear him tell his stories like he just did, is how big Augie's heart is. Man, he cares so deeply. You know, what's so cool is that he has found a way to use his talents while honoring his mom's memory and his own heart. You know, learning to live from your heart is something that we're all searching for, right? You know, finding a passion, finding something that you can pour yourself into regardless of having MS is something that is so good for us. I know that Augie helped me find mine when I was sitting in my living room and accepted his invitation to start a podcast. It scared the hell out of me for sure, but then I reopened a door that had been shut for a while. You know, a door to my creativity, my confidence, which I had lost while my MS was ravaging my body and bringing me down. You know, I truly believe that healing comes in many forms. Western medicine is one way, and I also know that my body gets better when I'm around people, my mind is active, and I believe in myself. You know, I find confidence and those things don't just come in any pill form. So, there is no medical journals or double-blind studies for what I'm about to say, but I believe my connection with Augie is a healing force in my life. He's taught me, or should I say he's continuing to teach me, the importance of telling my story, expressing myself through my podcast as an outlet for myself while letting others know of the power that you guys have within yourselves. When I grow up, I want to be a storyteller as good as Augie. 
I love the details and the color that he has in his stories. I love the emotion he speaks with. I love how his stories affect the people around him. I think it's pretty clear that with Augie it comes from his heart and a willingness to be vulnerable, which he definitely was during this podcast. From the stories of his mom to his one-man show, or should I say his life as a sexy nerd, Augie lays it all on the line for all to see. Thank you, Augie, for sharing with me how you are really doing so I can learn how I'm really doing, and together we can teach others to tell the world how they are really doing. I'm your host, Jim Fairchild, and I look forward to talking to you next time on, you guessed it, How You Really Doing. Today's Tom Sawyer, he gets high on